Grace and peace to you, Bloom. We're coming to you from the main space where we gather each week in our first ever podcast. And we are doing this because we do want to maintain a connection and a sense of community in this time. While at the same time, we want to honor what our state government has asked of us and to do our part to protect the vulnerable as this virus is spreading and hopefully is contained soon. What we are wanting to do here with this is to provide a spiritual practice, a rhythm for you to engage in whenever you find the time that would draw you into the presence of Christ. You would feel the oneness that we have in Christ as a community. And we know this doesn't replace our gatherings together and what we experience when we are at the table, but we do hope that it enriches your life together in this time. We're praying for you every day. May the grace and peace of Christ be with you. So with us this morning, we have Taryn Jost, who serves as a section leader at Bloom. We have Dulcie Booth, who has served our community in a variety of ways over the last several years. We have Daniel Martinez, our equipping pastor, and we have Seth Slay, our pastor of music and arts. So thank you. You're welcome. And Thanks thank, for having yeah, us. Thank you for coming here last minute. And Dulcie, what's your real role here? Uh, it's actually the Associate Pastor of Overhead Ministries. Yes. Dave, thanks for mentioning that. I appreciate it. <laughs> it just rings with spiritual. It does. It does. Um, so what we are going to do here is basically go through our service together. So we'll have a time of prayer and confession, uh, scripture reflection, all the things that we do when we gather together, uh, hopefully in a way that helps you engage wherever you are. So how we'll do that is just in a moment, we'll transition into that time. Uh, during that time, uh, Seth is gonna play a song that has been written from our Bloom community, so that'll be on there too. And then we'll, after the prayers, we'll come back to scripture reflection. We'll just uh, hold the scripture that has been given to us from the church today as a group and hopefully as a community. We'll also be putting a link to the liturgy that we're following so that you can follow along and we'll put that also in the episode notes in the podcast. So let's go, are y'all ready? We're ready, let's okay. do it. Bloom, let's confess our sin together. God shows us his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let us then show our love for him by confessing our sin in penitence and faith. In the wilderness, we find your grace. You love us with an everlasting love. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. There is none but you to uphold our cause. Our sin cries out and our guilt is great. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Heal us, O Lord, and we shall be healed. Restore us, and we shall know your joy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sin, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Filling up my lungs Oh, sweet 
Please join me for the prayers. We pray to the Lord for grace to open ourselves up to Jesus this Lent. Give your church the courage to give up her preoccupation with herself and give more time to your mission in the world. Lord, meet us in the silence. Give us strength and hear our prayer. Give your world the courage to seek peace above anxiety and fear. Lord, meet us in the silence. Give us strength and hear our prayer. Give us the courage to give up quarrels, strife, and jealousy in our families, neighborhoods, and communities. Lord, meet us in the silence. 
Give us strength and hear our prayer. Give us the courage to give up our selfishness as we live for others and to give time, care, and comfort to the sick. Lord, meet us in the silence. Give us strength and hear our prayer. Lord, we speak peace over our community and our world. Remember those who are sick. Remember those who care for the sick. And remember those who are afraid. Lord, meet us in the silence. Give us strength and hear our prayer, here and in eternity. Amen. Bloom, let's say the prayer of the day together with the church worldwide. Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, that we may be defended from all adversities which may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Hear a reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 4. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sakar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, 
you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to the harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. Daniel, you were supposed to preach on this this Sunday, and um, I was wondering, yeah, what were you thinking? This is a long passage, but and it's a beautiful story. Uh, what did you get out of this as you, as you were studying? Yeah, Dave, it is a very long passage. We have about 40 verses here, um, and there's a lot of richness, and it just goes in so many different directions in this passage in John's Gospel. And I think the first thing that really stuck out to me was uh, how it's connected with the previous passage uh, that we had during our Lenten season, which is uh, the passage that we went over last week in Jesus's conversation with Nicodemus. 
So in chapter 3, we have Jesus' long conversation, long drawn-out conversation with Nicodemus. And then in this passage, we have long drawn-out conversation with a Samaritan woman. So I really believe that there's uh, an intentional contrast that John is trying to draw here by uh, putting these two next to each other. And so first of all, in chapter 3, we have uh, the religious leader, male, Jewish, powerful, uh, his wealth of knowledge in the Jewish system is just immense. And so we have Jesus conversing with him, going back and forth, and we leave the story with Nicodemus not fully uh, understanding Jesus' mission or what he's talking about. And then carries on into chapter 4, which is our passage today, with the Samaritan woman, and we have almost the exact opposite person that Jesus is interacting with. We have a woman, a Samaritan woman, and uh, one who is uh, socially uh, not powerful at all. Um, So we have uh, a Samaritan in the ancient world of ancient Judaism is someone who is uh, a partial Jew. And so we have uh, this entire ethnic and religious history of animosity between Jews and Samaritans. Samaritans were uh, a group of people who uh, were intermixed with uh, foreign nations uh, in the nation of Israel uh, prior to the time of Jesus. And they also had this entire alternative system of worshiping God in which they uh, used a different mountain. They followed only the first five books of the Bible, uh, of what we call now the Bible. And uh, so they had uh, a totally alternative mountain that they believed to be the way to worship God. And so we see this in our passage here where the woman brings up this ancient historic animosity between the Jews and Samaritans in several verses where she begins by saying the obvious thing that a Samaritan woman would say to a Jew who was addressing her was, how do you ask me for water? And then the the narrator says, because Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And so there is no association that would be normal between these two people. Jesus interacting with a Samaritan woman would be entirely shocking to a first century reader. And it might not stick out to us uh, because we live in a much more uh, egalitarian society. And yet to the ancient reader, that is the first thing that sticks out is this Jewish powerful rabbi, Jesus, who is walking up to this Samaritan who on three fronts is at least controversial, on at least three fronts. Uh, First of all, she's a woman, so there is not this social convention of a Jewish man walking up to a woman and having a conversation with her at a well. That would be very unnatural. Secondly, a Samaritan who does not associate with Jews. No table fellowship. They They don't talk. They don't eat together. They do nothing. Uh, together. And so that would be shocking. And then thirdly, she has a at least complicated relationship history that we see on display in their conversation. And so on those three fronts, and, and so along with her relationship history, something that is that would be something that is known throughout the community. If you have five different husbands in the past, that's something that is known. On that front, she is also a social outcast. And so really what we see Jesus doing here is what we consistently see him doing in the Gospels, and that is reaching out across human social boundaries that we've created in order to draw people into the kingdom of God. 
And so he sees all of these social boundaries and intentionally walks across them in asking this woman for a drink. And so it's an incredible and shocking action by Jesus that actually shows a lot of love, a lot of mercy, and a lot of compassion just in the fact that he walked up to her and began to talk to her. And then in the process of their conversation, several things happen. Uh, First of all, we have this instance where the woman ends up uh, having her shame brought out in her conversation with Jesus. And in her conversation with Jesus, her, uh, the darkness that is present in her life comes to light. And that she ends up confessing it and then uh, quickly actually moves on to talk about Jew and Samaritan relations. And moves on to the mountain and moves on to the debates and changes the subject because that would be very natural for her. And then from there, Jesus begins to uh, talk about his kingdom, talk about the way in which Jew-Samaritan divides uh, are no longer really relevant in the new kingdom that he is bringing about. And so he calls her into true worship of God where it doesn't matter about worshiping on Mount Zion like the Jews or Mount Gerasim like the Samaritans, but what matters is this full-hearted worship service and devotion to God. And then follows the rest of the passage where in the, in the final verses we have this incredible, these incredible lines at the very end in verse 39 saying, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. And in that instance, she begins to lead her conversations with her fellow Samaritans by talking about her shame. The very thing that Jesus brought up in her through their conversations, she now leads with. The thing that she would have changed the, the subject about is now the thing that she brings up with her fellow villagers. And so she says, he told me everything I, I ever did. He must be a prophet. Come to see uh, what is going on. And then in verse 40, we have another significant, in their day, significant uh, couple of words here. So he stayed for two days long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And the reason this is significant is because many Jews would have walked around Samaria in this instance. So there's this uh, north, northern Israel is Galilee and southern Israel is Judah and in the middle is Samaria. And so it is this place where if you were walking through it as a Jew, you would not expect any hospitality You would not expect any relations with anyone. You would just try to go through as fast as you could. Because of this, many Jews simply walked all the way around it, uh, extended their trip by several days just to avoid uh, the animosity that would come in the middle of this. And so really the, the grace and the mercy of Jesus here shines through in that he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. So as we expand out our conception of this sentence, we think about him sitting down at tables. We think about him having conversations, drinking wine and eating food with these people, uh, spending time with all different manner of families within this community and telling them about the kingdom that he is bringing. And then as he leaves, they end up being brought into the kingdom, believing because they experienced Christ for themselves. 
And that's what we see at the very end. Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. And then finally, in our, in our final word even, there is a bit about this passage that is significant, that he is indeed the savior of the world, that John is not saying he is only the savior of the Jews, that this is a passage about the kingdom spreading out into areas in which it was not previously, and that Christ is doing a new thing in the world and doing new things in the communities around and in Jerusalem. So there's so much more to unpack in this passage, and uh, yet those are kind of just the beginnings of uh, what I was thinking about this passage as uh, I was preparing. I love how Jesus has this way of not going around the social structures and not necessarily keeping with the social norms, even the religious norms, but he has this way of just crashing through the systems and meeting people. And it's always drawing them into the flow of the kingdom, into the, into the reality of the kingdom. And what I think what I love about this, and we talked about this earlier, is that she leads with the things that were previously shameful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like she doesn't come to the people saying, I've figured it all out, I've memorized all this stuff, I'm following the rules. She comes saying, This is who I am to the core, this is what I've done. And I met someone that sees me in that place. Mm-hmm. It's, it, the shame's been taken away. Mm-hmm which is beautiful. You know, I, this is probably a dumb comment, but it's always kind of fascinated me that that is the town's response because they would have already known her. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's why she's going at noon. And so I think there is something in her declaring it herself that has power there for her to say, Mm -hmm. this is something you've had power over me on. That's why I'm going to the well at noon. Um, and now like he spoke it out loud and it holds no power over me anymore. And I can even talk about it. I don't know. It's just an interesting, like yeah. their response to that is even really interesting. Like, okay, you're in then like you're accept. There's, there's a full acceptance there, which is fascinating to me. Yeah. I love, there's a sense that she's doing what's in her power right? to combat the shame or to to, <laughs> right. to move in an opposite spirit of the shame. Right. But it can take her so far. And then he comes and she's just fully immersed right. in a new reality and acceptance. Mm-hmm. You know, he he's just living out the character of God in the name, the one who sees, right? The one who sees mm-hmm. me. It's one of the names of God. And he, here it's playing out in in the person of Jesus. But I think when we think about being seen, how many, for, how many of us would that instill a lot of fear right. of mm-hmm. being seen? I don't know that that name in and of itself would bring a lot of comfort to people. If, right. if we didn't get to see mm-hmm. that playing out in the person of Jesus, that it's not just that he sees us, but it's 
that he there is like you said Daniel that grace and that compassion and that generosity yeah. and that love that comes with being seen that this being seen doesn't stop that it's it's an open door for that yeah. and so not only is there not fear there but then like you said that's what she leads with yeah. like it just mm-hmm. turns our shame on its head right it turns mm-hmm. that fear on its head and it becomes this opening to the kingdom breaking through for how many more people right. in mm-hmm. this story yeah. that got to experience freedom from shame or fear or you know anything else um, because they've interacted with the one who sees yeah, that's right. and that's not something to to run from mm-hmm yeah, and really with this kind of thing in her past being brought up in this conversation with Jesus, you could almost expect her to walk away like dejected yes. or like right. even this, more shame. This like religiously pure yes. rabbi has come to me and I've had my mm-hmm. most shameful mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. just revealed mm-hmm. to him. And yet somehow like in their conversation, she leaves like excited and leaves and ends up like telling all these villagers about him. And so somehow in this interaction, she totally changes around. She doesn't leave dejected. She leaves excited about Mm -hmm. the kingdom. Yeah, and Jesus is, uh, I love what you said. He stays in the town. Mm -hmm. And so he's, you know, drinking and Mm -hmm. eating and being with people and, and inviting them into this new reality of being known. And also the whole community is experiencing, I think, uh, oneness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this, this kind of rhythm of the kingdom is, is making its way through this town and through hearts. And there might, they might not even be aware of it at this point. But to me, as I've sat with Lent and with this whole pandemic that we're going through and and asking um, what are some practices that we can adopt as a community. A prayer was really natural, you know, mm-hmm. that came up real quick. But the second one that came up for me was belonging. And it, it was, it's been sort of a challenge for me to, to, you know, to sit with, okay, how do you practice belonging? Yeah. And... Um, for me, what's been solidified is it is an increasing awareness of the reality of who we are as both the human family and as, as ones who have been brought into the kingdom, the new reality uh, by Christ. And that, to me, when you said that, Christ stayed in this place and he, all of a sudden you see coming forth from Christ is this new reality of belonging. And it hit me because it's the same thing that the Spirit is doing today. Mm-hmm. Is we have this, this pressure and this fear now that's if we're not careful, it can start to creep into us and we can see the other. and We can see other people as the enemy and something that we need to be distanced from. And why that's true, like, you know, social distancing on a health level. Um, What the kingdom, I believe, what the Spirit is wanting to do in this 
for us is to increase our awareness that we belong to God and we belong to each other. Mm-hmm. And how do you practice that? Mm-hmm. How do you... How do you become one who is sitting across the table from Jesus in Samaria? How do you become the woman at the well? How do you let yourself be drawn into your belonging in him? And the reality that we all belong to each other, that we're all a human family, as the prayer book says. And it, to me, has become a really beautiful practice in the last two days. So this passage comes to us in Lent. Yeah. Why have you, have, as you've sat with this, do you have any sense as to why when they, when they form the lectionary, why is this passage found in Lent? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good question. I, uh, at first glance, I don't think I was really had any idea, <laughs> for, to be frank. Uh, and yet, uh, I really think the, the practice that Lent uh, calls us into that is found here is the self-examination, the repentance, and uh, uh, the renewal that we receive. Uh, and, and so self-examination being in that, whether it was intentional on her part or not, uh, her interaction with Christ brought up for her something mm-hmm. that was uh, in need, mm-hmm. something that was uh, the darkness in her heart. As, as the prayer book says, something that I feel like uh, a prayer for us uh, in terms of self-examination that we are led into with the prayer book is, Lord Jesus, illuminate the darkness in our hearts. Yeah. And so we're asking uh, the Lord to illuminate what is dark in our hearts in the season of Lent. And uh, I also feel like the, the grace part of this is the part that's often like, not uh, apparent to us in Lent uh, at first glance is, okay, it's self-examination, it's fasting, it's repentance, it's this downward uh, kind of movement into ourselves and time with the spirit and prayer. And uh, yet that doesn't mean that like forgiveness, the grace, the mercy, and the compassion of God isn't also part of that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That in Lent we experience self-examination, we ex- experience Christ illuminating the darkness on our hearts, and yet we're not left there. We are similar to the Samaritan woman, lifted up, forgiven and given new life in Christ in the kingdom. And so I feel like there's a, a connection there in we do go down into the depths of our hearts asking the Spirit to illuminate them. And yet we also look forward to the forgiveness, the renewal that we experience in Christ as well. Part of what we're trying to do here is to invite our community into one of the Lenten practices, which is meditation on scripture. So everyone listening and part of our community, um, take time with this passage. Try to see yourself in this passage. See our community in this passage and, and, um, and what Christ is doing among us and in us and through us. Daniel, thank you for leading us. so bloom gathering our prayers and our praises into one let us pray as christ our savior taught us saying our father 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, you humbled yourself in taking the form of a servant and in obedience died on the cross for our salvation. Give us the mind to follow you and to proclaim you as Lord and King to the glory of God the Father. Amen. And Bloom, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and bring you peace. And may the peace of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be among you and remain in you always. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Jesus.